0: in into our neighborhood church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys again. Um you may be wondering why I'm here and you've heard the topic of the day, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here because as a Seattle sports fan, I know pain. And so, um so I feel with you this morning, those of you who are suffering, and those who don't know, you're fine anyways, but um, anyways, so it's good to be with you. I, I don't know how you're doing, but I've heard wonderful things, uh, great responses from this All Church Focus uh, on planted, featuring rooted, and our elders led us this last year, or this coming year, to set our sights on discipleship, on spiritual growth, um, for the next year. We're a few months into that, and this has been a great introduction to what discipleship is, and not even an introduction, some first steps on that. And a lot of this, if I if I open my table of contents in my rooted book, a lot of this really makes sense, right? I mean. You know, what is, what is rooted is what it says, or what is planted. And we're looking at what discipleship is. And who is God? What more important question is there than that? How does God speak to us? That's so amazing that God speaks to us. Um, Where is God in the midst of suffering? We've all asked that or had it asked of us. There is an enemy. We understand that. And it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we have to wrestle with those. How can I make the most of my life? The idea of how can we live a life of significance through service and that we do that with love? And then today, how does God view money? So, so I mean, if, I can't remember if it was Sesame Street or Electric Company, but I feel like we need that music of one of these things is not like the other, right? Do you have that, that kind of feeling there, at least at first blush? Um, and so um, what could money have to do with our relationship with God? Now, one of the things that's great about following Jesus and, and and being planted and rooted in him is that our following is a step-by-step, day-by-day, year-by-year thing that should seep into every aspect of who we are. And the Holy Spirit is working on every front to defend us against the enemy's ploys. There's no part of our life that should remain untouched by the Holy Spirit, even our wallets. And so as we get into this real life issue of money, that we're going to take a little different tack on this than we have in the previous weeks. So previously we've looked at Abraham and Ananias and Moses, David, Esther, then a couple of Job, and then a couple of weeks on Jesus. And so we've done character studies and seen how they have answered the questions that we're raising each week. But today we're going to a letter. We're going to some teaching content in First Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can turn there if you like. But I want to take a minute to look as you're turning there at the people behind the letter so we still know the story and who's behind this. The Apostle Paul is the author. He's the biggest person in the New Testament besides Jesus. He's a missionary theologian. He planted churches all over the Mediterranean. He's a big deal. And now at at the time of writing 1 Timothy, it's near the end of at least his ministry life. We don't know where it fits in specifically, but he's aging. And so he knows his time is winding down. And so he's making sure he's passing on his leadership insight and spiritual leadership to the next generation. And so Timothy is the pastor. He's in charge of the congregation in Ephesus. And some people think he's just too young for the job. And so Paul is pouring into him, and to make matters worse, Timothy is dealing with some false teaching in the church, and Paul's trying to help him stand against it. And so we're going to see Paul's words to Timothy in this letter, and there are strong discipleship reminders and guidance, and embedded in this is the importance and some instruction on money and what God thinks about it. So let's pray together, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And that is brought out, um, we want that brought out in a passage and in a message like today. It's so important to remember your goodness as we wrestle with tough stuff. And so I pray today, Lord, that as we talk about money, that we keep your goodness in mind. And Lord, also, when we talk about this, a lot of defenses go up. We don't like to talk about it because it is so personal. Um, So Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender our hearts to you, that we would entrust ourselves not to me as a preacher, but to you and to your Holy Spirit as we open your word. And may what is true, may our hearts be open and may it lodge deeply in our hearts and change us. And whatever is chaff, Lord, may it blow away and just roll right off us. We want your words to be spoken. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are picking up our text mid-argument, so context is necessary here. Timothy is dealing with false teaching, with bad theology, and the fruit of that is dissension, division, sin, infighting, and that would be bad enough, but bad thinking about God and fractured community is going to create space, it's going to create footholds like we talked about a few weeks ago for other kinds of issues, and in this case, it's money, so without further ado, we're go- we have a lot to get through this morning. So first, how does God view money? First thing is it's temporary. It's temporary. Like I said, we're picking up mid-arguments. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." So this is a powerful few verses, and that power comes from the fact that it's so direct and it is so obviously true. We've heard the saying, many of us, of there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. You can't take it with you. And so God is telling us through Timothy, through Paul, is that money's temporary. But there are implications for the fact that money's temporary. It's temporary, so because of that, we need to be wise, Now, there's a couple of ways to be wise with it. The first is to not give it eternal significance, right? It's to pay for and provide for us in the here and now, the food and shelter piece that is clear in the text. But I appreciated this week in the rooted study where it warned also against debt. That's another way to be wise is not go in debt. Debt is deadly. Now, there are rare instances where it's needed either as a wise investment, like buying a house or something like that, or a life-saving necessity where you don't have a choice, but it's generally a bad idea because it's often rooted in the fact that we just aren't content with what God has given us, that we can't wait and save for that TV or that sofa or that new phone, that that Black Friday deal is just too good to pass up. And that's not wise. So here we see that the money isn't coming with us, so we have a limited amount of time to be wise with it. And so we need to deal with it while it's something that we're dealing with in a day-to-day and we need to deal with it wisely. And so you know what helps us stay wise or get wise is creating a budget, making a plan. You can't take it with you, so use it well now and start by getting organized. Know what you have coming in. Know what you have going out. Track what you're spending. Adjust your spending accordingly and carefully. So what does God think about money? First, it's temporary. And so the implication for us is we we should be wise, and the application would be to make a budget or make a plan. And if you've got the budget down, you're saying that's too elementary for you. Good for you. You're ahead of most of us. Um, but maybe you can level up to investment strategies, but that's beyond me. So we'll stop right there. So what's next in terms of what God thinks of money? The next thing, it's dangerous. If we can't be content, we are going to have problems. And that's where money gets dangerous. Let's read verses nine and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the drive for wealth can make a mess of a lot of things. If it isn't what's led these false teachers away, it'll be a big factor in keeping them away. Money is powerful and it can lead us into all kinds of evil in our lives. You say, well, how is that? Well, St. Augustine, um, a- ancient, like 5th century um, monk, says this, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so if we aren't resting in God, we have restless, wandering hearts that are seeking. There are all kinds of counterfeit gods seeking to fill that space that is not resting in God. And the options are legion, but there are some that are consistently near the top of the heap. You know, like if you're a college football fan, there's a few good teams every year, but you can count on three or four of them being from the SEC, right? It's just, there, so there's always near the top. It might be different ones, but uh, some others that cycle in, but there's always a few near the top. And money is always near the top of those things that are vying for our affections. It is incredibly powerful and the stakes are high. And so money keeps trying to find its way into our heart. And let's be honest, the, the challenge of that is we need money. We need money to get those basic necessities of life. We don't have the option of not dealing with it. And so we have to have it. So we use it to get the things we need. But then there's lots of shiny objects around us. And so we see all those things we want. And then it's the need of money to get those things that drives us. And that's where things get messy. So what do we do? Well, this one um, so hang with me here, because this won't make sense when you see it on the screen. So it's dangerous, so be grateful. Now, don't be grateful that it's dangerous. Um, money gets most dangerous when we can't help but want more of it, either for its own sake or so we can get more of the stuff we want. So the question is, what's the cure? And the cure is to kill the want, kill the covetousness, And don't kill it like some of the ancient monks who tried to kill it by self-punishment. That's not the way, particularly in our world where the shiny objects are all around us and marketed towards us like the video captured beautifully there. That's not the way. We have to kill the want by realizing what God has already given us. Right? We are staggeringly blessed here. We live in one of the most prosperous places in one of the most affluent countries in the history of humankind. You're saying, I'm not keeping up with the Joneses. You should see what my neighbors have. Well, just look at what the rest of human history have had. We're doing pretty good. We have so much to be thankful for. And not just materially, certainly materially, uh, maybe there's a few exceptions, but generally we are. But then God gives us so much more beyond that. So our application here could be cultivate gratitude towards God. I have a gratitude journal. I, I, I've showed it to you guys before. It's my little red moleskin here. And, and I, every now and again, just write down 10 things I'm grateful for. I haven't done it for a while, but uh, I'm at 554. And so when I'm, if I find myself doubting God and if I'm smart, I'll pull this out again and see how good he's been to me. I'm not always smart, but that's a good thing to do when I need to. So whether it's a gratitude journal or, or something like that, we need to practice gratitude. So find something that works for you and run with it. Now, as we as we move to what's next, we aren't gonna go to the next verse right away. Rather, we're gonna go to the next money verse, which means we have to jump to verse 17. And that tells us the next thing that God thinks about money. And the next thing is it's unreliable. Let me prove it. Verse, first part of verse 17. As for the rich... In this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And we kind of get that, but at the same time, it's a little bit counterintuitive because we all want that magical phrase of financial security. They just seem to go together so well. It's why we plan for rainy days and emergencies in retirement, right? But God tells us, and so does our experience, that this is only partially true. You can only plan so much. I mean, we're dealing with difficult stuff. Inflation is rough right now. We're feeling that pinch, but there are always variables. Whether it's an occasional stock market crash, whether it's wars, natural disasters, poor financial decisions that seemed like a sure thing, um, all of this makes challenges. Money is unreliable. But guess what? Money is unreliable, but God isn't. If we just finish the verse, we will then see God's generosity. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And this brings up an important distinction. Money is dangerous as mentioned above, not because it's inherently evil, but that we are prone to love it. And that creates the space for evil. But in and of itself, it can be a gift from God as well, a gift that God gives us to enjoy life, right? Now, there are parameters to that. We'll get to that. But for now, we need to know that money is one of the things God gives us to enjoy the world that he's given us and that there is some space for enjoyment. He's not this cosmic killjoy. He is the financier of at least some of our joy, and that's a good thing. But that's not all of it. Because you might've said, hey, He just skipped like six verses, I think. What's he hiding, right? Well, let's get to that here. Um, Let's see, I lost my place in my notes here. There we go. So on one hand, these verses don't speak about money. And that's, that's true. That's why we skip them. But what they do is they frame this issue. They put money into perspective. What does God think about money? It's unreliable. The flip side of that is he isn't. And the application we're gonna see is to meditate on him. So let's just see how unreliable God isn't here in verse 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now, to, the, the things were to flee are the false teachings, the temptations of money when we don't have it. That's the first section is when you don't have money. This one we're on now is when you do. So we already covered that. But we don't just run from things in our faith, we run to things as well. And so this is Paul's wrap-up, and it is this this concise, inspiring section that tells us really what our faith is all about and how it can genuinely change our lives. I mean, we could really, this could be the closing sermon text and paragraph for the entire Planted Rooted series if we wanted it to be. It's, It's discipleship in a nutshell. So let's give it a look here. Second part of verse 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And so this is a barrage of, of good-sounding spiritual things that we're running towards here, but there's actually some order to this that can give us some insight as to why Paul says to run towards these. In short, righteousness and godliness are God-focused, and so we run towards God in his ways. And how do we do that? We do that by... by th- living animated by faith and love, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that is driving us and focusing us towards God. And then as we do that, we experience life change, which we see in steadfastness and gentleness. So this is a journey of faith that we see in just six words here. But we aren't just running, we're also fighting. We're fighting the good fight. It says in 12a, fight the good fight of the faith. So we're, I guess, running to the battle and now this is the fight that is to be had. So it starts by living your faith, live your confession. That's what it says as we keep reading. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What does that mean? Have any of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hands um, because we'll know those who don't raise their hands there might be. A little fibbing, but but let's say that you um, have you ever, when you first became a Christian, you lived with this tremendous zeal and excitement for Jesus, and then maybe after a little bit of time, it it faded just a little bit. Maybe some more of us than others, but but it faded, and that that burning fire kind of went down a little bit. And then it kind of became a smoldering fire. Then it became embers. And then at different times in your life, God used different things to fan that flame. That's what Paul tells Timothy in the next book, next letter that he wrote him, is to fan the flame of your faith. So there's times when our faith may wane and it needs fanning. It needs, the flame needs to be fanned or our faith needs to be fed. And that's a good thing. And there's, but there's only so much we can do about that. We can't feed ourselves when our faith needs feeding. We do the work, but it's God who actually nourishes us. And so what we're nourished by is the work of God in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. I'm going to read it slowly, and I just want you to let this just soak in this as best you can. Verses 13 to 16. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus Who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What a great passage, soak that in. He is the God, he's over everything. He he is the one who gives us everything. He's the one who stepped into history, who has committed himself to us by showing himself faithful unto death, rising from the grave and he will come again and there is nobody like him. And he's the one, the the father is fully glorious. He's unequaled, He, he dwells in glory and he is the one who has committed himself to us and he asks us to commit ourselves to him. And as we do that, we become more like him. How amazing is that? There is We have no standing to be brought into this. And yet, because he's a generous giving God, he has called us into this. And as this pertains to giving, our mind needs to be reshaped. We need a grand vision of how big this God is and how good he is to us to realize that every good thing we have is a gift from him. So I encourage you, if you're struggling with this and anything, to make sure you frame your mind around how big God is above all else before you tackle any problem, giving or otherwise. So spend some time thinking about how good God has been to you. We can get back into the gratitude piece, but but journal it. You know, pre- Go on your computer, don't cut it out of your Bible, go on your computer, print this out and and put it somewhere today. If you need help remembering how big and how good God is, this is a great passage for that. Write it down, keep it, build on it, have a mind shaped by gratitude and eventually that'll get to your wallet. What does God think about money? It's unreliable, but he isn't. So meditate upon who he is. So how does that happen? It happens with discipleship, but it's discipleship that involves money. So let's keep going. We'll stick with our rhythm here. Next one is it's powerful. Earlier, we saw how powerful it was in terms of being a root of evil at times, if it's misused, but it's also powerful for good. Look at verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So what does God think of money? It's powerful, so be generous. And the application here is tithes and offerings. It's giving. You say, well, what is a tithe? That's a weird word. A tithe means 10%. It was expected under the Old Testament law, and it even went beyond that at times. But it goes back to even before there was a law. Way back in the book of Genesis, Abraham gives a tithe to this strange character named Melchizedek, and that's a whole other issue. But this is a long-standing principle, but we understand that God has done a work for us in Jesus, and so he wants us to live lives of bountiful generosity. So the tithe is something that is helpful, but it's okay if generosity goes beyond the tithe. Now, tithing is scary to some. Some of you are, are internally wound up right now or, or defensive or whatever and, and, and nervous. It could be a lot of things. So let me, some things to think here. I, I, I want to help you think about tithing um, not as a law, not as a finish line, not as a ceiling, not even as a floor. I want you to think of it as a, a, an important benchmark that God wants to use in your giving. So wherever you are, we want you to take that next step in generosity. Really, wherever you are. For some of us, tithing just isn't a possibility right now. It could be because we're in debt. It could be a lot of reasons. So if that's where you are, then use it as a goal to take the next step forward from wherever you are. So if you generally um, maybe either give nothing or you just grab a random few bucks from your wallet every now and then, first of all, that's great. It's great that you're thinking about it and doing something. So that's not nothing, but let's build on that. Maybe your next step is to say, you know what? I'm going to intentionally give 5, 10, 20, whatever whatever that is, that next step for you. And I'm going to do it every week. I'm going to plan on it. So I'm going to redirect one of my trips to Starbucks this week, and it's going to go to church, right? Something like that. To be a regular giver, even if it's a little bit or maybe you give more but it's a random check every now and again and and so if that's the case your next step might be to take that and then start online giving so that it is a regular giving that you do and you're building some consistency in your faithfulness in your giving maybe you give and it's like 1% of your income well try to you know make a plan and it, the fact that you know it's 1% is a place to start you have some kind of You're tracking what you give, and so try to make it 2% next quarter. And if you're at two, try to make it three. Keep upping and arcing towards that 10% benchmark that's helpful. Just start somewhere. All of us have probably started somewhere. We've given something. So just take one more step this time and see what God does. Look at your life, track what God does in your life, and you'll probably be surprised at the good things he does in result of that. Not because he owes you, but because it's how generosity works. Now, some of us, 10% isn't generous, right? We make enough that it's not even a second thought and we don't actually live any differently. For you, 10% might not be enough. We can all be challenged by this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, quote, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, et cetera, is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our charitable expenditures exclude them. That's challenging. Remember, generosity is Paul's challenge. He doesn't say anything about tithing here. So for some 10%, it isn't shaping you anymore. And so you need to find that point where you feel a little bit of sacrifice, whether it's in the church or another organization, you need to give more because God has blessed you and he has made you to give, to be generous like him. And, and this is, um, if you're wondering, hey, are you practicing what you preach? Yes, we are growing this, we tithe as a family and we go a little bit beyond that, but we haven't wrestled with it to stretch a little more lately and we probably do need to re-examine. So if you wanna talk about it, I'm happy to talk about it with you. So let's review really quickly where we are before we get to our final point. What is God's view of money? First, it's temporary, so be wise and plan. Second, it's dangerous, so be grateful and cultivate gratitude. Third, it's unreliable, but God isn't, so meditate on him. Next, it's powerful, so be generous and give generously. And then finally, it's transferable. Our first point said it's temporary, but that doesn't mean it's useless for eternity. We just have to exchange it, right? So how does God view do money? It's it's transferable. So invest in eternity. Verse nineteen. Um, let me read eighteen as well. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Our generosity today can have eternal significance. What you give here, it isn't lost forever investing in your retirement's kind of a, a, probably the best example for that, that God wants us to put away for eternity. Now we don't know specifically how this works, but we need to be clear on this. It's not to earn our salvation, but it is shaping us for eternity. And I think what happens is that our hearts expand in such a way that our capacity for enjoying the future with God expands with that, that we're getting fit for heaven, not just to be saved, but to enjoy it maximally. And so let's think about a minute for how giving, about how giving shapes us to be like Jesus. And this will be our last thing we cover here. But giving is critical to discipleship because discipleship is about heart transformation. We're not about just going through the motions. We're about living differently. And so we talked about how money grips the heart. And so giving is just kind of peeling those fingers off that, he, that it's trying to wrap around our hearts. So as we live gratefully and give, that's what's happening. We're loosening the grip of money on our hearts. And so this is so critically important, I think, to understand right now. Money is more about your relationship with God than keeping the church lights on. Now, don't get me wrong. You're giving keeps the lights on, it pays the staff, gives us the opportunity to do great ministry. And we are grateful for that. And pastor appreciation last week was such a cool surprise at both of our campuses. And um, we're blessed and we are blessed to lead and serve here, all of us are. Um, But as those who give and are invested, you're entitled to know the status of our giving here as a church. And um, the the last numbers I saw was we're behind about 23,000 in our budget. Now that sounds scary, but we don't spend more than comes in. So we're, we're okay, but we have room for improvement. Now, here's the thing. If that moves you to give, that's great. I'm glad you have a responsive heart to that, but I don't want that to be the most important reason you give. The most important reason we give is that when we give, our heart is shaped to look a little more like Jesus's heart. And, and so that's what we want to move our generosity most. By the way, if you're here and you're like, I'm not even a Jesus follower. I'm not a Christian. How did I get here on money day, right? Um, if you're here, um, first of all, you're, you're always welcome to give to the church if you desire, but um, we're just glad you're here exploring the faith. We don't have any expectation that you would, but I do wanna challenge you. You're still made in God's image and God's a giver. And so you're called to give as well. So find a place to give and do it but specifically to the church family, to to Christians, to Jesus followers, start your giving at church. That's how God set it up. It doesn't have to be everything, but certainly start there at the home base and, and give. And it's definitely for your good and it's for God's glory as well. Invest in eternity. You won't regret it. Now, the bottom line is we've been made to give. So start somewhere and watch your heart grow as you continue to step out in faith and grow in generosity. So to conclude, here's the thing. Just remember, Jesus gave everything to us to bring us to himself, to pay for our sin completely, to to plant us in relationship with God. And he saved us, not just so that we go to heaven someday and just hang on till then, but that we would grow deep roots in him and experience transformation today. And so as we do that, that touches every aspect of our life, including our giving all the normal spiritual stuff we think about, but then we learn today that the daily stuff is spiritual too. And so as we grow in giving faithfully, we grow into looking a little bit more like God, generous. So to answer our question one more time, how does God view money? It's temporary, so be wise and plan. It's dangerous, so be grateful and cultivate gratitude. It's unreliable, but God isn't, so meditate on who he is. It's powerful, so be generous and give generously. And finally, it's transferable, So invest in eternity and be shaped for eternity. I want to end our time by reading the last couple verses of the text. And specifically, the last sentence is beautiful and a great place to end. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to deal with something, Lord, that's sometimes uncomfortable. Um, But Lord, it's uncomfortable because it's so close to our hearts. And I think we come here each week because we wanna be closer to you. And so um, thank you then for this opportunity that even though it is uncomfortable, it's one of those things um, that we need to get in order, not to earn your love, not to earn our salvation, not to earn anything, but to experience you more fully and even to understand you better. So thank you for this opportunity, Lord. And I pray that if there's something we need to act on here, that you would make it clear to us, that you would show us the way forward, and that we would leave here encouraged, uh, not discouraged, because this is a message of hope, of a God with limitless resources who has called us to, to himself, to you, Lord. So thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.